Father, that's our prayer today, that you would indeed speak to us, that we would hear your voice speaking directly to us. We pray that you would show us what we should do for your praise and your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. It's too early. I'll get up in five minutes time. I wonder if that has been said in recent mornings as the kids go back to school again. Or there's another version of it in the afternoons. I'll do my homework in a little while. Not just now, I'll get round to it eventually. But it's not just uh, the children who can put things off like that. wonder if you've ever had one of those days when you wake up with a list of uh, good intentions, lots of things to do, and then you go to bed that night and you're no further on. And you think, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day. I'm reminded of uh, the wee saying, I think I've shared it before, when a man says he'll do something about the house, he doesn't need to be reminded about it every six months. <laughs> but have you found that when you do have important things to do, unimportant things become so much more attractive? So, for example, the, the kids have no time to do their homework, but they have the time to complete ten levels of a computer game that they'll chuck in the bin next week. Or maybe you didn't manage to get your tax return finished, but you did arrange your CDs in alphabetical order for the third time. No time for things that really matter, but loads of time for things that don't. As the prophet Haggai steps up, this is the problem that he's facing in the city of Jerusalem in 520 BC. And you might have found in the order service today a little handout, and that might just help us get some perspective on where we are in, the, in terms of the Old Testament. So you see, kind of at the right-hand side, Haggai, it comes just after the Babylonian captivity. And uh, so basically they're in 520 BC. 67 years earlier, Jerusalem had been destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. Its walls and its houses had been destroyed. But even worse, the temple had been destroyed. The place where God's presence dwelled on earth, the place you met with God, the place of sacrifice. God's people had been taken away from Jerusalem and planted in Babylon, in, in exile. You might remember a few years ago when we looked at the prophet Daniel and how he lived a life in exile. Well, some of the exiles have returned now. They've been around for about 18 years. 
And the book of Ezra tells about the people returning back to Jerusalem and, and, and what they do. Ezra 3 tells about the restoration of the altar, the place of sacrifice, and, and the foundations of the temple. But that's all lived on, at least to the temple. They have been busy doing other things, though. And so, uh, on this certain day, uh, verse 1, in the sixth year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, which some people cleverer than I have worked out, was the 29th of August, 520 BC, Haggai delivers the Lord's message. And it might be good if you turn back to follow uh, with uh, what it says. Verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. It's a bit like the kids with their homework. Not yet. We'll get round to it eventually. But then Haggai continues at verse 3 and verse 4. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? Do you see the contrast between God's house and their houses? They said that it wasn't a time to build God's house which was in ruins. And yet they were living in panelled houses, luxury houses. Just imagine walking along Temple Street in Jerusalem. You see the, the big impressive houses and even though you were told you're not supposed to, you take a wee peek through the windows just to see what it's like inside. It's not just bare stone walls inside there's, there's panelling, wood panelling luxury houses you can nearly hear at Lloyd Grossman from through the keyhole asking, and I'm not going to do the accent who lives in a house like this and then you've nosied through a couple of windows and then you walk on up the street and well you don't need to go through a keyhole there's just a, a pile of stones, a, a pile of rubble. Who lives in a house like this? Oh, this is meant to be God's house. The contrast is shocking and it's meant to be. As Haggai continues though, he says that they should have known that something was wrong. Do you see in verse 5 the therefore... There's a connection between what Haggai has already said and then what he now says. Now therefore, because of all this, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Or to put it in Northern Irish, catch yourself on. Catch yourself on. Haggai points to a series of disappointments they were facing, a, a, a series of problems that made life difficult. You sow much, 
You expect a, a, an abundant harvest, but only harvest a little. You eat, but you're still starving. You drink, but you can never get rid of your thirst. You put on clothes, but you're still cold. You earn wages, but they seem to disappear too quickly. As if you're putting them in a purse with holes or your pocket has holes in them. Now was it just that times were hard, that they were unfortunate with the way things turned out? Not at all, because verses 10 and 11 show that God was behind their difficulties. He called for the drought that they were facing, verse 11. And then in the original, there's, there's a play on words that Haggai uses. God's house is in ruin at Horeb. So God sends a Horeb, a drought. Verses 10 and 11 are an echo of the old covenant curses which Moses proclaimed in Deuteronomy 28. As the people of Israel were entering the promised land, they were given the choice of obedience or disobedience, life or death, blessings or curses. They've already been through the exile, they've already lost their land because they didn't obey God. And all these curses came upon them. And now they're back. And it's happening all over again. So again. The Lord says through Haggai. Consider your ways. Catch yourself on. Think about what you're doing. But this time. It's also a call to action. In verse 7. Consider your ways. Plan it out carefully what you're going to do. And here's what to do, verse 8. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. That I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Here's the big problem. The temple lying in ruins spoke volumes about their attitude to God and his glory. They didn't really care about God. They didn't care what other people would see or think of their God in his temple ruin. They were much too busy keeping up appearances in their own houses to worry about God's house. They went about their own business, but neglected God's business. Could that be true of us as we gather here today? We'll worry about getting serious with God's stuff sometime. Just not today. Not this week. Not this year. Sometime. We'll get to it eventually but in the meantime we'll concentrate on ourselves in Jerusalem in, in 520 BC it meant that the temple was neglected so does that mean that we apply this now by looking at the parish church around us 
That we need to consider our ways and compare our houses with this house? Well, it would be great to be able to do it just as simply as that. Except we're not sitting in Jerusalem. And we're not sitting in the temple ruin in 520 BC. We're here in our in 2016. The challenge is the same. Are we focusing on ourselves and neglecting God's house? But we have to ask, what is God's house? You see, the temple that Haggai was talking about was the place where God had chosen on earth to make his presence especially known. But if you go to Jerusalem now, there is no temple. There is no special building where you go to meet with God. But do you remember at the Christmas Gospel, John chapter 1, which tells us that the Word who was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the temple, the place where God's presence is found. And now, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the second reading that we heard today, the temple isn't bricks and stone. The temple where God dwells is us. You and me, his people. So Paul writes in verse 16, Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now later on in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians, Paul will say that you individually are at the temple of God. But here, that you is plural. You are God's temple Usens, Ossens, are God's temple, the place where God dwells. So if we gather together are the temple, what will it look like to give ourselves to the work of building the temple, building God's house? We want to build up and encourage one another. By coming together, by being there for one another. Not uh, avoiding one another. We want to see others brought in, added to the building like living stones. We'll not just focus on ourselves and what we like. But we'll seek to serve one another. To encourage one another. And as part of that. We want to make sure that our meeting place, that that this building is well kept and welcoming. But we shouldn't just work on the building and neglect building the church, God's people. And if that's what we need to do and maybe we need to consider our ways. Do we spend time on ourselves and money on ourselves and not on building the, the church? then we also need to think of how we build. That's the point of 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says that he laid the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, the only foundation worth building on. 
And then he says, each one should take care how he builds. You see, there are different building materials that we can use. Gold, silver, precious stones, things that will last, things that are worthwhile. Or wood, hay and straw. Things that show we we don't really care. Things that won't last, won't survive the judgment. Haggai says to us today, consider your ways. Perhaps we need to hear that word from the Lord today, just as the people in Haggai's day needed it. From verse 12 on in Haggai 1, we're told how the word was received that day. Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. See, this wasn't just something that Haggai thought up himself would be a good idea to share with the people. The emphasis there is that it's the voice of the Lord their God. That Haggai had been sent by the Lord their God. And so they heard God's voice. They obeyed it. And they feared the Lord. And as they do so, as they, as they begin to respond to God's word, Haggai has another message for them. A word of grace as they repent. We find it there in verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. They might have initially abandoned God's house. But God has not abandoned them. God is with them. And so in the next verse we see that the the Lord stirs up the spirit of uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua. And the spirit of all the remnant of the people. God stirs them up to action. To work on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. For what are we living? For what are we giving ourselves? As we turn from our own glory to live for the Lord's glory, so we have that assurance the Lord's promise, I am with you. As Paul reminds us, God is with us. More than that, that God dwells in us. As we respond to God's word, as we consider his ways, sorry, consider our ways, may we know both his promise that he is with us, And also his stirring up to drive us to action. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we pray that as we hear your word through the prophet Haggai, that we would hear your word to us. We pray, Father, that you would continue to speak to us, continue to stir us up. That you would drive us to build the church. To build up one another as we meet together. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. 